Hi, and welcome to My Gaming Academia, a podcast where we discuss gaming as it relates to psychology and sociology. My name is Reza, a.k.a. Sprintspeed. I'm Javon, a.k.a. Jay Stoney. And I'm Eric, a.k.a. Hysteric. And this is going to be episode nine, Show, Don't Tell. Now, I have a quick announcement before we get into the episode. I have been watching my hero academia so i'm slowly eventually going to be able to fulfill the name of the podcast i just want you all to know that thanks for coming to my ted talk um yeah honestly it's good okay but i don't want to get off the rails onto it so far (laughs) or right now um it's good so far uh so this is episode nine show don't tell now in the last episode if uh, you all recall, we talked about dynamic storytelling in the title, Choose Your Adventure. And dynamic storytelling is kind of the art of giving the controller, or like literally, or giving figuratively the steering wheel to the audience to decide how the narrative plays out in the story. In Show, Don't Tell, what we're looking to talk about is okay well once the narrative structure is decided and once that is in place how do you actually tell that story what are the mechanics by which you convey information to the audience to the player or whoever is trying to experience this it's um really important when you're thinking of good storytelling to relate it to the human experience uh, and really forcing the player to think about how a certain character or how the a certain array of characters feel in any given moment. So if we're thinking about like moral conundrum choices, right? In the sense of like, oh, like the choose your adventure sense, right? We're, you know, we're giving a player agency of, oh, well, they're going to have to pick how... Th- the character and the story progresses after this moral choice. How do you give that moral choice? What no, what kind of mechanics are you going to set up? Uh, something like the Paragon versus Renegade system in Mass Effect is a very distinct and, in my opinion, really good way of doing that kind of thing. But in other games, it's mostly just left up to like you know a, a choice wheel in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. It's just like oh, do you, you just pick this dialogue option. And that's it. And that's normally good and fine. But again, like you can do it in other ways, like the Mass Effect Paragon Renegade. What are system. the mechanics in that system? I'm not super familiar with it. So that one, it's basically like your character's reputation as, you know, ruthless or, you know, heroic okay. basically come into play. Um especially in something like Mass Effect 2. Um the, it actually has kind of an effect on the character's visuals, where if you lean oh. more renegade, uh, their eyes start to like glow red and like their scars start to glow. And then if you're if you are more um, paragon, so you're more heroic, then your scars start to heal and become less visible. Because at the start of the game, you're still going to have those scars, but as you be more, sure. paragon, more paragon, they become less pronounced, etc. So those are visual intents and descriptions of showing mm-hmm. how that goes. But also, those choices will affect, uh, for one, 
boss fight. If you choose the renegade option, you have a slightly easier time, but obviously you're kind of an asshole at that point. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, that reminds me of, um, I think the most recent Bioware game I played was the their MMO, uh, Star Wars The Old, the Old Republic, which I think has a very similar thing where like it's your actions that kind of put you on a meter scale, not just one leading to an X leading to Y. Uh, so that's cool. But um, I guess going back to then show, don't tell. Uh, I know one thing we were thinking of is the importance of relating, er, basically tying events and um, things that are happening in the world to the sen- the human senses that the character you want the player to empathize with is feeling. Uh, so when you think about, for instance, if you want to describe that a character sees a spider on the wall and they are terrified, uh, you could write the character is terrified, but what are, how, how would you be able to relate that to like descriptions of human emotions? I mean, there's also you know, just in general, using the human senses, right? Well, especially with things like VR coming into play where you're much more immersed in the game. Uh, things like sound. Sounds have always been a very big thing for the human sense and experience. So even just earlier, we were hearing Javon's mic mess up and we heard him sound like he was an alien versus predator xenomorph. Yeah, yeah honestly. <laughs> um Hopefully I don't sound like one now. Yeah, but um, it's stuff like that, right? Like often when the game kind of like rips control of the from the player, you don't want to do that too often, but sometimes that can be used to good effect. Like if you're ripping the control from the player for a hot moment to like bring their attention to something and bring it as like this huge startling thing, it's kind of illicit of that sort of experience of, oh, I am I've lost control of myself, etc. Because right. this startling thing has come. And it can be accompanied by like what I was saying with sound, uh, you know, that started like Dung! kind of like music. A very sharp, like concussive. Right, 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 right. It it's or just something can become very definitely silent. Like Yeah, or like I'm thinking of if you're playing a war game and you get hit with a flash grenade. I think that does a really good job of like the screen goes white. You see that through the character's eyes and the sound, you hear that ringing noise. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. No, that serves both as a gameplay mechanic to literally blind you from mm-hmm. being able to do mm-hmm. anything, but also you're like, Oh fuck. Well, I'm stunned. Like I cannot do anything. Like these things help to create that empathy through our senses and such, as well as, just the flat concept of experiencing these things firsthand in a sense, because we have control of the character. And so we feel like we're the ones this is being done to, to a degree. I think that's a kind of basic premise as to why horror games work the way they do. Right. (laughs) You really feel like you're the person there in Silent Hill fighting Triangle Head. Uh, And another thing I wanted to mention the relating to the importance of kind of sensory description. Um, a lot of times when you're kind of going through that experience and 
kind of displaying that on screen or through dialogue, uh, that can kind of activate areas of the human brain where if we think of ourselves like in real life and uh, my, if I think of a memory I have that might have emotion associated with it, I am remembering the sensory inputs that I'm taking in. Uh, I might remember like the adrenaline rush and like my amygdala being activated, which is like the fight or flight gives you the fight or flight response and feeling that kind of adrenaline in my body when I see like a scary situation or like a ten- an intense situation. Um, so mirroring kind of how that looks and feels to the character or for instance, um, the sense of smell is processed in the brain through your hippocampus, <clears throat> which is also where your short-term memory is converted to long-term memory. So you have a lot of associations that directly link your sense of smell to your memories, which is why you can get a lot of nostalgia when you smell something familiar. So if you present that kind of information to the player in the game, that can actually, um, like if maybe your character's walking through a field of flowers, your brain will like remember, oh yeah, I do remember what like sunflowers are like. And that, that can actually evoke certain emotions for your players. So mm-hmm. Reza, what you're telling me is that once Overcooked comes out with the smell adaptation to their game, <laughs> you're basically, you're going to tell me you're going to be getting PTSD flashbacks once you smell the pizza you burnt. Pizza I burnt? Wait, I didn't burn pizza. I mean, come on. Uh, well, I'm just saying you may not have burned. You didn't burn pizza, but continue. You burnt okay, what? Okay, okay, <laughs> listen. We don't have to go into every detail of uh, all the food I've burned in the past. Oh, my God. Um, but, like, the smell of burning does, uh, it could elicit a lot of different um, responses. I mean, the smell of smoke, for instance, that could be, like, a house burning down or something like that. And obviously, like, when you think of a video game as a medium, your main senses of sort your main source of senses are the audio visual but you can still kind of put the player in that position to say like oh yeah if they call attention to like the fact that it is really smoky outside or something like that's something people can relate to Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i know one example of a game that eric has definitely been uh, interested in is a uh, Hellblade Sinuous Sacrifice and how that really relates like s- psychosis to the gameplay experience, which is really cool. Right. Like I mentioned that a bit at the, towards the end of episode two, because I feel like that's a very big and key game to this kind of concept of empathy. Since it really does that whole show don't tell thing kind of really well. Like, The concept being that the main character has schizophrenia. So rather than that just being kind of like a throwaway write-off as like, oh, she has schizophrenia. And then you don't really see much being done with the character having schizophrenia outside of maybe some odd-and-end dialogue choices about it or like seeing her kind of freak out in a moment in a cutscene. Like that's the most you usually get in those kinds of cases for characters or people who have those kinds of mental disorders or things like that. Mm -hmm. But 
in Hellblade Sinew Sacrifice, it's actually conveyed and created as a gameplay element. So you much more firsthand experience kind of the the things that it end up involving that specific ailment. And so the puzzles in the game are kind of done through her hallucinations you, in a way like how in Assassin's Creed, it's like, oh, you can tell that someone's about to attack you from behind and you can counter. Like you kind of just see the thunderbolt or whatever above their head or something. Yeah. I, or, no, I think that's that there's like be. an indicator that's like, hey, you can counter. Right. You get that indicator through the hallucinatory voices that Sinua gets, which is a very, very like common associated uh, symptom of schizophrenia. Uh-huh. And so experience it that way kind of makes you go, oh, is this what it's like to a degree? Because it's it's also displayed kind of freakily, right? The, 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 the voices aren't like, you know, aren't Navi being like, hey! Be, watch out behind you it, no it's like <laughs> it's like a it's like a cold chilling like whisper. distorted and demented mm-hmm. kind of yeah it, it it feels wrong to listen to it you don't want to listen to it but it's like it's kind of helping you and then you're like wait do i listen to this or do i not listen to this what the fuck it sounds creepy so that kind of becomes a thing and so you can build that empathy through that and you know, uh, I think you looked this up, Reza, but, mm-hmm. you know, Ninja Theory consulted world-round neuroscientists about this. Yeah. So, like, they tried to make it as accurate as possible. And this is something that is a great thing that can be done through video games. Because, again, like, the empathy that you can feel towards that, you're like, yikes, this is freaky. This really must suck, et cetera. Even if you don't 100% experience it, you're better than when you started off having virtually no idea how it felt. And so... This is one of those things, and it can create some level of better relations or better understanding to the problem. And that's really the importance of like that empathy and why it really makes a difference to apply video games with those concepts of using the senses, because again, the the hallucinations and everything, they're very much so like, you know, auditory and visual. Yeah. So, and also just to clarify, because I know this gets mixed up a bunch. Um, in mentioning like empathy, we're referring to the ability for an outside person to like understand and feel the feel like they're in the same situation, in the same shoes as the other person. Uh, not necessarily sympathy, which would be somebody that like kind of connects with them emotionally or like feels sorry for them in that respect, but like being able to understand the motives, the senses, and uh, basically live the world of another person in that sense. And I know uh, in looking at the ability for video games to kind of take that extra step, like you mentioned with having the actual kind of visual displayers on screen stuff. um, I know extra credits, which is also, which is a YouTube channel that talks a lot about game theory and game stuff. Uh, they in the past they've gone over how metaphors can also be used to really kind of drive home this idea of showing people something and not telling them where in a game setting obviously it's you can make things very fantastical or not necessarily grounded in realism Um, so I know one example they talked about which I thought was an interesting way to physically illustrate this is that um, 
if, for instance, you were playing a character that's in like kind of maybe a lower socioeconomic class and they're being oppressed by a ruling class, um, you can kind of, first of all, through dialogue and like the setting and things, you can show that in a strong way that they're being oppressed or maybe things are being drained from the working citizens. But um, if you, if a game developer, for instance, turns the ruling class into literal vampires that you have to fight and overcome, that kind of is able to further connect the audience's mind. Like, oh, these are like soul-sucking evil beings. And if they're trying to drive home that narrative, like, hey, you should like fight for the working person or like the lower born people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought in the video that was a a nice way of an encapsulating how, from a literary standpoint, you know, making these kinds of metaphors like these people are vampires, right? So you're not, I mean, in some sense, depending on the genre, they could be literal vampires, right? But you're also <laughs> yeah. talking about these people are like sucking the soul out of something, right? So that could be they're like pillaging people for their money or their land or what have you, right? Uh, mm-hmm. but in a video game standpoint, you can do way more than that because you can actually show, right? You can actually have a character that's a literal vampire. And, you know, I think the video points out that they run like this kind of, uh, like a monopolistic kind of like guild that just takes people's money all the time, uh, to have a particular commentary on that. But then you can also have, a vampire who is actually defending the people uh, from this monopolistic uh, kind of like guild. And that in and of itself is a, a conversation. So I think one way I'm trying to think of a game that um, elicits this point uh, really well, but from my standpoint as both being a person who uses metaphors a lot in my own work and plays a lot of video games, it's always nice to kind of like go through a game and play through something. And I'm just like, oh, this is so cool because I'm freaked out, but not because the game is feeding me the lines or my character is saying, I'm so scared, I'm so nervous. It's Uh it's the atmosphere, it's it's the tension um, that's surrounding it. I mean, I want to harken back to uh, Hellblade because... When I played that game, I still need to finish it. But when I played that game, it was definitely one of those moments where it's like, I don't know what it's like to live in this world where I like going through um, being a person with schizophrenia, but just hearing the voices. Like, for example, I'm going up a ladder, but I'm going up the ladder as like me, as the player. But yet I hear a voice in my left side of my headphones and another voice in the right side of my headphones talking at each other as I'm going up this ladder. And one is just like, keep going. The other one is just like, why are we going up this ladder? Do you have no idea where it's going to go to? And I was like, you know, we have a grip point. And the other <laughs> one's like, like, keep going, keep going. But the other one's just like, yo, like, chill out. You don't know what's behind that. You don't know. You don't know. And then you get to the top. And then the voice is just like, oh, there's nothing here. And it's just dead silence. And I'm like, bro, what? So I had to, <laughs> I had to take a pause because it's like having you like these many, many conversations happening at you know at tandem with each other. So this is this experience where I'm just like, yo, if this is what 
Like this, if this is like a small taste, what someone has to go through, then I definitely feel for them because how would I like manage to live if I was to um, have schizophrenia myself? Of course, I can never like have that experience in that kind of way. But it's amazing how a game can take some of these these real-world experiences people have and actually utilize them, uh, not just through words, but through um, the the visual as arrogant, the auditory senses. Uh, I think it's pretty pretty amazing. But I think it's also good to note that this is an example of it. This kind of scenario being done well, like mm-hmm. you can't, you can't just just because video games are going to be able to do a show don't tell doesn't always mean it's going to be done well. Well, yeah, sure. like plenty of games still have really crappy storytelling or crappy elements to them. Like um, the uh, the YouTuber Shammy said it once in his uh, review of Titanfall, but it's that. You know, a bad joke told well will get a lot of laughs, but a great joke told poorly might get a couple awkward chuckles. And it's the same concept, sure. right? Mm. Like, there's another thing where it's like the dialogue of a game can uh, make or br- nah, break this. Like, with all this emphasis on show don't tell, when a game ends up using its dialogue poorly and just does random bullshit exposition, you're like, what the hell? This is this is lame. I don't want to hear this. I want to play this. Yeah. I don't need to hear this crap. Why are you doing this to me? Like, you mm-hmm. know. Like, I understand that games sometimes want, especially like RPG, where there might be a lot of narrative backstory and stuff you want to get through. But like, do I want to sit through like five minutes of like some <laughs> disconnected narrator voice going, and then in the third age, the country was defeated and blah, 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 blah. Um, it. It's just kind of like lazy introduction to a lot of a lot of those ideas. Right. And then it's also just like it kind of goes against that whole like, you know, choose your adventure concept. Right. Because it's kind of like it's shoving that in the player's face as opposed to letting them have the agency to discover it for themselves. I think, uh, again, another good example of how this is done is like Dark Souls doesn't throw too much of its lore into your face. A lot mm. of it is actually you have to explore the world read the item dialogue or the item descriptive text and history and piece those pieces together in order to really get a full picture. Mm-hmm. And that's just a black hole that I don't feel like going. <laughs> like, that's the sure. player's choice. You know, like there, it's the same thing. It's like, Oh, did this happened in the third age kind of thing or whatever? It's like, if you go end up talking to like some side NPC and they tell you this, it's like, if you pay attention to it, that's your reward. That's your choice that you chose. But if it doesn't actually lend to the story to some degree like that, like it didn't need to be said. It can be something that's world building, but is a player's choice to add on. Yeah. Because in a way, like, you know, you're not going to actually have that in real life. So that again is another like element of show don't tell. You're not now like empathizing that. You're not going to just get everything exposition dumped on you about the history of everything. Like there's so much history that you yourself have to go out and learn for yourself about the real world. So why is that not applicable for a video game? Why is it all just getting dumped, right? 
right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like real people don't have a perfect understanding of like the geopolitical tension and everything like that. Um, unless they've gone through those experiences and seeing it through things like the effects of people around them or dialogue of the people they interact with. And mm-hmm. I think dialogue is super important in this concept of show don't tell, because when you think of bad storytelling in this way, uh, telling kind of naturally leads to a dialogue where a lot of times uh, a common trope in like video games, movies, TV, uh, and probably even and even some books, I think it's a little less prevalent because you have it's a little less time constraint uh, in a book format. But um, when you like first intro a character, there's like a, the character that's new to the world, or like if you think of an isekai anime, uh, like somebody's unfamiliar with everything around them, and then you just have like their new or their best friend just go off for five minutes on like yeah this and then this and then this or when. Um, I, God, uh, when a character talks about their past experiences with somebody in a way that's super unnatural, <laughs> one, one example of this, uh, in Resident Evil two is, um, that has tons of bad dialogue, but one of them is, uh, for instance, there's, uh, pl- they're basically they're police officers investigating a haunted mansion. And one of them says like, ah, I'm going to go look with you, Chris, you know, Chris is our old partner. And it's just like, okay, you're telling the audience, yeah, these two are old partners, but there's so many better ways you can <laughs> show that fact that they trust and know each other in that situation. Mm-hmm. You son of a bitch, where have you been? Hand clap. <laughs> yeah, well, things like that. Like when I see you again after the pandemic, Eric, I'm not going to be like, Ah, oh, hi, Eric. You know, we have known each other for going on eight years now. Like, you just look at me and be like, who, who asked? I already, like, I know this, obviously. Um, yeah, I'm just, just going to come up to you and be like, yo, I brought the partners. And you're like, yeah, boy. Right. Like, then if somebody's watching the interaction and be like, okay, this Reza dude has some weird affinity with Parmesan, which, by the way, is a gift of the gods. Thank you, Italian. <laughs> for inventing this uh anyways um yeah things like that where they'll reference inside jokes or if uh if you're in like a combat situation or like investigating you could have somebody say like hey don't fuck up like you did back in college or or like not even mentioning college but like don't fuck up like you did in algebra 2 or something like that that shows to the audience like oh so they were together in a past event and something happened where one player let the other down or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think like, yeah, I mean, Javon, you can probably speak more to this, but it kind of like, like those senses of community and things like that, like that kind of very human, very like th- those kinds of social interactions and like those communities and such being built in, um, in these games, like for the NPCs and et cetera. When these games ha- have NPCs that have a lot more community to them and a lot more, you know, like realistic behaviors of like what people are doing when they are together, you feel more lived in the world. And it's like it, it definitely feels like a much more yeah. lived in world. But when they're all kind of just standing around doing nothing, <laughs> kind of just like doing whatever, you're you're kind of like, like waiting for you I, to talk to them. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like. I don't really give a shit about, <laughs> right? Like, 
like in a way that's kind of what we were saying with um before with blah, life is strange right mm-hmm. even, even though the gameplay of that is very different like the characters were all very much like it felt like lived in and that's mm-hmm. why we had such a different opinion and choice of like when it's like, oh yeah, you were like, oh man, I sacrificed. Man. I was like, man, fuck the town. <laughs> like, yeah, the we, difference. We experienced the, the town enough that we had differing opinions on that. Right. So, but it's like it comes down to those like that sultna that that culture in that town that sultna that social aspect. So like, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, in in life is strange. There are moments where you because you're playing through like a town and most of the time you're like going through your high school um i think it's high school yeah and there are moments you're just interacting with some of these students and some of them you're just like nah she can go straight to hell right so you'll have Um, these moments where you're just like nah you don't i don't i'm not doing any favors for you right but then there's also moments where i think about the kind of person i want to be like in like in my everyday life and so i bring that into games and so and through the game through the game's dialogue there are lines where okay this reminds me of myself so let me see if this works well in this context right and that's how i ended up creating um at least for my character playthrough a way in which the community yes trash but not as trash as it once before because the dialogue tree allowed me to build up certain relationships um that I can tolerate therefore kind of like reflected in my final choice about do I let my friend die and the, save the town or do I sure. you know you know let my friend live and then everyone else uh can die off so those choices, um, and that really just goes down to the power of just attention to detail. And again, not every game does that. So these are like these, I don't want to say exception to the rule because there are many great games, but that is one game where I'm just like, yo, I'm crying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm interested in like, so in Life is Strange, the situation is you're playing a character who's lived in this town her whole life, presumably. And there's people she's known most of her life, presumably. Uh, how does so how does the game basically deal with that fact where she's familiar with everything but it knows the audience is not so actually no it's actually the reverse this, the yeah. character had okay. left for a while and sh- this is now her first time being back after mm-hmm. like oh i see years mm-hmm. so so that's another thing right that's another like show don't tell element where like you don't know this town neither does she everything mm-hmm. you discover she discovers and it's it's great because her perception of the town from way back when is a lot different than it is now. And as you're discovering, you're kind of just like, oh, these people used to be good and everything. You're like, yeah, sure. That's what you say. But I'm seeing them now. And you're like, this person is an asshole. Like, why, why do I care? Like, you know, like you feel like the full brunt of like, who is this random asshole? Who is this person? I don't know. And, and, and then of course, it's just like, yeah, like, Fuck you and everything you stand for. <laughs> yeah, because as you play as the character Max, right, you run back into your old friend Chloe, right? And and you all used to be really strong when we were younger, and then you peace out and now you're back, and things have definitely shifted, especially for Chloe, right? So there are moments where 
Max is trying to be an in the, there are these moments where Max is trying to be her own independent person, and yet Chloe is doing things uh, that makes you question, like, what, like, should I be doing this? This is so, like, childish behavior, or this is a dangerous situation. We shouldn't be in these kinds of things, but I can see why. So you're trying to still hold on to your childhood friend as best as possible, though there's this tension where it's just like, we are not the same as we once were, right? Sure. And, that, and then the game kind of branches off in different directions with different characters, and it just makes it that much more, how do you say, tense for certain situations. Okay. Right. And like, again, like you wouldn't have that if you weren't like building that relationship, because again, like y- your friend Chloe has changed so much that you're basically rebuilding your friendship with her throughout the course of the story. Uh, it reminds me of Titanfall two, where a very similar thing is happening as the game uh-huh. progresses. You're building your relationship with uh, your partner character. And so it's something that happens because of the choices you make, right? Because of the things that you experience that you have to go through throughout the course of the game. It's not something that's directly communicated through dialogue. Like, and it's done not, and this is an example of like how there can be very good ways of doing it in multiple forms. And it's dependent on how you want to tell this, like what we were saying at the beginning, it's like, how do you convey this? Right. How do you make it so that these choices make a difference in life is strange. It's about, the dialogue choices that you have chosen, whether or not you want to do these morally correct choices or not correct choices, what you are picking to get things done. Are you going to try to maintain this like childhood innocence that you had in your friendship? Or are you just going to be like, no, this has changed and I'm going to roll with it to try to build with the person that is here now, the person I knew was gone? Like, How much of that are you wanting to do? Like That kind of balancing act in that. And then in something like Timefall, it's very different where it's like, uh-huh. hey- your skill as like a combatant gro- no, goes up. Like you are this, you are this pilot, you know, who, who's like basically nice superhuman. And how much crazy, you know, parkour and rapid fire mass mob killing of grunts can you do in a short period of time by yourself along with your, you know, partner mech? And going through that element of like, okay, I'm working together in certain cases, like the mech can't get through a place because it's too tiny. Yeah, and I can't go through a place because the mech is because the mech is what keeps me safe. Like there are these elements of like this back and forth that you personally experience with this going through that, and as the character itself grows in the story, you also grow with it because you get used to the game mechanics, you get used to this, and you get better at things. And those elements in both games are different ways of progressing this sort of communicative like relationship and growth that you really won't get from any other method that doesn't provide a show don't tell like um like a movie and a book are not really going to convey this as well because you're the one experiencing it you're the one going through it when we're talking about a book or a movie someone else is going through that yeah that's that's pretty cool because also like as you mentioned you're not it's not like explaining the relationship that you and the mech already have it's just like you're starting at a low level and then you like you said the that person is building it themselves through the power of their thumbs on the sticks or on the key, fingers on the keyboard depending on where they're playing it um so like really building it from scratch that's pretty cool 
I will say this all uh, these kinds of empathies and things also kind of have a opposite effect too, in a sense, or like a what do you mean? another side to them. Cause not everything is great where it's like, oh, I'm building relationships and all that. Sometimes you're kind of like, Am I really gonna be about to do this? Like there's some controversy, like specifically the modern warfare Call of Duty games. Oh yeah. Oh man, right? Mm-hmm. Like Modern Warfare 2. It had that infamous no Russian mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, dude, like, like, yes, they're it's just game elements. They're AI characters, but you're gunning down innocent civilians yeah. in an mm-hmm. airport. Like, yeah, dude, can you that go over so like weird. the scenario real quick? Like, yeah. So in Modern Warfare Two, there's a mission called No Russian, where basically you're playing as a CIA agent undercover, and you're with a terrorist group. And the terrorist group walks up into an airport with, like, I think it's what, like, probably M240 machine, not like 50 caliber machine guns or some shit like that. I I, uh-huh. I don't exactly remember the, the exact gun, but point is, they walk in there with, like, actual, like, belt-fed machine guns and lay waste to the entire thing. Like, mo- like the first half of the mission, no one is shooting back at you. Not even the security guards, because what are security guards going to do against, like, six dudes armed with machine yeah. guns? Like, God. everyone's just running for their lives, scared. And, like, you can, like, there are even cases, I remember, because um, for the people who are hiding, you walk by them, and you can, and they're literally staring at you like, oh, my God, I'm about to die. And you'll literally either choose to, as the character, because you have full control in this moment. You can either completely choose to go through this first half of the mission and not shoot a single bullet, or uh-huh. you can be a cruel asshole and literally find this person cowering for their life and blast them in the face. It's Jeez. your choice, but it's really ridiculous and it's really freaking creepy. Like I'm shivering right now talking about it because it. it yeah, feels and so I, I remember that got a lot of backlash in the press because um, obviously that's a pretty horrific scenario that to open up that game. Yeah. Full disclosure: the game does allow you to to skip it. Um, but I think you have to like choose that option earlier, um, in, in, in the game. Like it doesn't even say it by title. Um, like it doesn't say it by mission. I think it just says some kind of disclaimer, like there are certain elements or something here that you can choose to skip, uh, if you want to, that being pretty much what they were referring to. Um, and I remember playing this mission quite well because, you get off this elevator and the guys just like, remember no Russian. Cause the whole thing is your terrorist group, but your, your spoiler alert, but like the game's been out for a while. So I don't care. <laughs> spoiler alert, the terrorist group already knows that you're a covert agent. The whole thing is to shoot up this airport and then they kill you to leave your body. Right. Because when the authorities come and check your body out, Guess who's the like the, the dead person there? An American, and then boom, World War Three, right? <laughs> so. Right, and like that's another element of like the no um no exposition thing because the only thing you get out of that is the no Russian. You're like, what the fuck does no Russian, Russian mean? mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They mean no speaking Russian because the rest of the terrorist group, besides the agent you're playing, <laughs> is Russian. Yeah, so they want to keep that unknown to the other NPCs in the game. Mm-hmm through the narrative exactly and so like you know it's done well but because it's done so well in such a in such an icky way you're like oh yeah so 
and it's kind of interesting that like they kind of did some similar stuff again in um in the 2019 modern warfare because that's like you are playing again you know that like there are no so uh, yeah game's been out whatever spoiler alert but you've been warned Mm -hmm. the um the game you sometimes will raid a house or whatever and there will be now there will be people who are you know they look like civilians or they're freaked out or whatever and then they go for a gun and you kind of have to kill them because they're about to kill you and it's like if you're it's like don't go for the gun don't go for the gun and they go for the gun and you're like fuck right yeah (laughs) because like it still gives you that choice not to shoot, but like in a way you kind of have to because it's like well, and it mirrors it, like that. Well, not that I would know, but I would imagine mirrors like the real life tension of like my life could be on the line here, right? And like it lets you not shoot, but if you don't shoot, then you die. Being a video game, like obviously you're going to get to retry that, and you're like you no, know, so like you're kind of like oh, I don't really have a choice, but it's like you kind of get it now right yeah if they don't shoot they're gonna die you already know what's gonna happen so they're kind of like i they don't have that choice so they kind of have to shoot so it's like it again it it's a controversial kind of thing but it kind of puts you in that shoe situation so yeah instead of just displaying text on screen saying like you have to kill them before they get the gun like you just see that play out yeah, you're, it's just like it's not that it doesn't you know, go like cutscene. Oh, I got to do it, or like no, whatever. It's like no, it's full game control. You can completely not do anything, and these yeah. are all interesting elements of that. But so again, I guess like, like the bottom line is being able to create a lot of empathy or like put people in their shoes realistically through that is a powerful tool, either to I guess have that successful fun narrative of being the main character or to create that really tense and horrifying sometimes situation for the player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Definitely. Nice. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it. Do you guys have any other burning desires that I cut you off from saying? Uh, for me, uh, as mentioned earlier, we talked about Hellbay a lot. I would, encourage folks to actually go on Hellblade's site. I was following their um, mini docs that they have when the game's in development. Uh, I haven't finished all of them because there's like 28 of them at various lengths. Um, But (laughs) you can go in. It's like a full-on behind-the-scenes from creation to end uh, of the the game and and the process that they went through to ensure um, that the, the game is fun to play in some sense, but also respectful uh, at the same time. Uh, So just go to, it is, it's it's amazing. So go to the Hellblade website um, and just watch uh, some of the videos uh, just to learn about uh, the process. And what else is there? Just get life is strange too. Um, I say it's best played when you have someone else playing it with you. Cause if you do it by episode by episode, you can have like these nice, interesting conversations about what you did as a player and versus what your friend did um, and see how those two, um, those choices uh, line up for you. And then of course you can console each other. Like (laughs) I had to do with my friend, uh, (laughs) like I had to do with my friend uh, by the end of the episode, uh, by the last episode where I'm just like bawling my eyes out. (laughs) 
Yeah, episode being like level in that game, right? Yeah, because it's by it was by you can buy the whole thing now, but each the game was pieced by episode. Uh, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, I would just say like along the lines of like suggesting games. Uh, we we kind of gone over games that you no know, we think are good. Um, that have no or do this kind of thing really well. So I will just say like with Modern Warfare 2019's uh campaign, like. It, even though it also has those controversial elements, it also has very good like show don't tell elements outside of that. Uh, there are plenty of instant scenarios where it's like it does it well. Where it's not a cutscene, you still kind of have control of your character, but your character is limited in their actions because the character itself is bound, and so like it creates that kind of you know linked experience of like what the what's actually happening to character results in what you can and cannot do as a player. So those kinds of things, I think, make it so that it's a very, if you're up for dealing with the controversy, it's a game that is very good to experience for those show don't tell elements. Sure. And in general, like, check back at some of your favorite games or like of why you like the story and maybe take a look at why you love the story so much. How was it done? Was it done because like this show don't tell element was great? And then, like, look at some games where you're like, oh, the story was really good, but it was kind of just like, you know, somewhat fell flat for me. Like, maybe it's because the way it was delivered was also really poor. Take a look at these things. And and you can have great games without needing to be really successful in, like, show don't tell. Um, Oh, yeah, no, for sure. But, like, this applies mainly for, like, definitely games that have, like, a story element to them. Yeah, and they're more important there. Yeah, like like a competitive game, something like you know, um, Smash like, Bros. Yeah, or like the League, or like Hearthstone, or things like that. Like, there's not as much show don't tell there because I mean, there's not as much story to be had to a degree. So this yeah, doesn't apply to this definitely doesn't apply to everything. But for games that can and try to take advantage of it, it can be a great asset, or it can actually just break the game. So sometimes keeping a lookout for it is very very fun. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to episode nine, everybody. Again, I am Reza, aka Sprint Speed. I'm Javon, aka J Stoney. And I'm Eric, aka Hysteric. And uh that concludes our last episode of the year and our last episode for season one. Woo! All right. <laughs> Have a good holiday break, everybody. All right, see you all next time. Take care and peace. <laughs>